I'm guessing in most church services this morning, across uh, the Christian world on Sunday morning before Christmas, uh, in, in most services, uh, Luke 2 is being read. It is the quintessential Christmas passage, although there are other Christmas passages in the Scriptures, including each of the Gospels. Uh, I, I was thinking this week about the birth of Jesus. What does it mean? How did he do it? Why did he do it that way? Why did God do it this way? Uh, I, why didn't Jesus parachute down from the height of heaven and dispense solutions to all of humanity's problems? In some ways, it would have made a little more sense. Why did he come as a baby? Uh, and and as, as thinking about this, I, I thought, huh. And I think I saw some things in this passage in Luke 2 that I've never noticed. So let's read it together. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinus was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloth, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was, there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see the thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. If you go uh, anywhere in the Western world over the next week, particularly into shopping malls, you will see people uh, hurrying around getting ready for Christmas. Um, and I am among them sometime. Uh, and you will see uh, people dress differently. Uh, some of you are wearing Christmas-themed things, or at least I notice. You probably wear it other times of year, and I just noticed it this morning. Um, most people, though, don't look like they're really enjoying themselves when you go shopping right now. Uh, they, they just don't look like they're having a very good Christmas. Now, hopefully things will change by Christmas morning for them. But what is the deal with Christmas? 
What is it that God did? And why did God do it the way he did to bring his presence onto earth? I think we, as his followers, need to ask ourselves a question. And we need to think, why did Jesus come when he did? Why did he, why did he come in the manner that he did? And then what does that mean for us today? Now, part of the problem, I, well, part of the, the, the ideas that I want to think through this morning is that I think that we probably, many of us have grown up with a wrong view of the Scriptures in the sense that we want them to be prescriptive for everything in life. We want them to tell us what to do so we don't have to think about it ourselves. And the Scriptures do certainly give good direction in many things. But they don't address everything that you and I face in life. It's because the Scriptures were never intended to do that. The Scriptures were intended to show us how God moves in humanity. I I mentioned this last Sunday, and I'm going to bring it up, and I will keep saying this. If you had never read the Scriptures in your life, and you began in Genesis 1 at the front of the book where you should... And you, you begin reading about how God created humanity. And you think, but there's a problem. I'm not like Adam and Eve. And then you understand why you're not like Adam and Eve. Because they sinned, and you sinned, your way into existence. And then God, in, in, a, in a miracle, um, speaks to Adam and Eve and says, this is going to change. I'm going to bring about change. I am going to send myself. He will crush the serpent, will be crushed. Now, he will be bruised, but the serpent will be crushed. And so for the rest of the reading, you look for this person, this being, this God coming down from heaven who will crush the serpent. And when you read the Old Testament, don't make the error of reading the Old Testament thinking, well, this is all kind of rules and regulations. It's not. It is God working in his people. And his people are the same people that he's working in today. Israel, we are the Israel of God. And the way that God worked in Israel is the same way that he works in us today. Now there are certain prescriptions that God gave them because they were living in a certain time period and he wanted to set them apart. And you begin reading and you think, Noah, he might be the one. Then he gets drunk. Abraham, he might be the one. Then he says, ah, that's not my wife. Twice, by the way. I think um, Sarah had a lot of right to give him one in the nose. But anyway, she didn't. Um... I mean, this, this man is, is broken. He's like us. And, and Isaac, Rebecca, you know, the, the whole scope of things. Every one of them proves that they're not the Messiah. And you're kind of waiting. Then the prophets come. And, and uh, how many of you like reading in the prophets? Uh, after New Year's, we are going to have a series, sometime in this next coming year, we're going to have a series of sermons from the prophets. And uh, many of you think these are outdated old guys. Uh, They do strange things, by the way. Really strange things. To make the point. And, uh, uh, but but what they're doing is trying to call God's people back to God. And they begin to say, there is coming a day when Jesus is going to come. When the Messiah is going to come. And he's going to come. And, and, and everything builds up. And suddenly you have 400 silent years. 
Everything's quiet. And then the second half of the story begins with this poor peasant woman giving birth to a little boy. And you think, surely not like this. And in a time when it seems really odd for him to come. Why didn't Jesus wait until modern media is invented? So word could spread throughout all the world. Well, uh, in Galatians 4 it says, In the fullness of time, God sent his Son into the world. Fullness of time, it means when the time was exactly ripe. And the place that Jesus is born is the center of the known world of that time. It is Israel. The, cross, the crossroads of the known world of the time is where Jesus is born. Ralph Sockman says, The hinge of history is on the door of a stable in Bethlehem. And if we could have seen into the courtrooms of heaven, into the cosmic worlds that day, those angels were singing, and we kind of think the, you know, we think about angels as these little kids dressed up like angels with sparkly stuff on them. Those are not, the angels are fighting. They're out there fighting. Because Satan is not pleased with Jesus coming into the world. Satan, who, who knows he is about to be crushed, or, or has a premonition that he is about to be crushed, understands the import of this. And those angels, angels in the, in the, in the Bible, are about fighting, uh, the, the, bringing the power of God to bear on the cosmic world. And those angels are saying, glory to God in the highest, because a time has come when peace will come upon all the world. Jesus is also born into a very difficult political situation. The Romans have conquered the known world. The Greeks first and then the Romans. And by the way, <clears throat> they institute something called Pax Romano. They built roads into Europe. And they built roads into Asia. They built roads into Africa so their armies could move out. And everything centers around this small narrow spot in the Mediterranean where this little nation of Israel is. All those roads come together right there. And the known world travels these roads back and forth, and it's in that very spot that Jesus is born. Now, God's people of this time, the children of Israel, and they're God's people. Okay, understand. Uh, actually, let's, look at, let's go on in the passage, and let's look at what somebody says about this. In, in, if you, in, in Luke 2, they, they take Jesus after, I think, eight days... Uh, they take him to the, the temple at Jerusalem to present, or a short time after his birth, they, they take him to the temple to, be, uh, uh, to present him to the Lord. In verse 25, it says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the, when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For mine eyes have seen your salvation, 
that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. Notice what he says. He's like, whoa, this is it. This old man. The spirit was upon the old man. They, they, imagine this young family taking Jesus in and this, this man walks up and says, now, can I see your child? And he takes him in his arms. Jesus is a baby. He's young enough that he can take him in his arms. And, um, and he takes him in his arms and he lifts him up and he says, now I can die because I have seen the Lord's Christ. I've seen the Messiah. He has come to bring peace upon all the earth. He is the consolation of Israel. Think about that, what he's saying. He's the consolation of Israel. Israel is being oppressed by the Romans. They are being beaten down. They have no national identity anymore because they're part of the Roman Empire. They're given little bits and pieces, but they're, they're, they have, they've lost everything. Everything that they ever thought they would be is gone. The nation whom God bless is under subjection to a fool in Rome and a fool that rules over them, Herod. And they are waiting for the deliverer and this old man lifts up this baby and says, here is the deliverer. And word spreads. And a, a, few, days la- a few months later probably, this group of, uh, of politicians driving uh, Bentleys, camels, shows up in Israel. And word spreads to Herod. Now these men are kingmakers. They're old, they're prophets from the east. We don't know what the magi, it's called wise men. They're kingmakers. And they've seen a star. And they come and they say... uh, Where's the king that was born? The king of the Jews. And immediately it pricks Herod's ears. Herod says, king of the Jews? I'm king of the Jews. Herod is king of the Jews. Herod's been crowned king of the Jews. He says, tell me more. Ah, yeah, nice car you've got there. Tell me more. By the way, camels were not widely used in in Jesus, right, in Israel. So these ungainly animals, by the way, camels are really ugly. Uh, I just read uh, a couple weeks ago they had a, a, a camel contest in Saudi Arabia uh, for the most beautiful camel in the world, and they practice plastic surgery on camels to make them look better. And that, then they have a prize, and people from 40 different countries bring their camels. To, but there is nothing beautiful about a camel. But they're ungainly, and they can travel vast. They can travel fast and without a lot of water across uh, Across, they can, they can cover a lot of country. And, that's what, and so these men, they're unusual. They're probably wearing clothing that's different. And they come there and say, where is the king of the Jews? Where is the king of the Jews? And Herod says, ah, tell me a little more. They say, well, there's supposed to be a king. And he gets get all these people together. And, and he says, now, now, you go find that king and then come back and tell me. Well, you know this story. And they go and they come and they bring the king's gift. Frankincense, gold, frankincense, and myrrh was what was given to the mother of the king when the new young child was born that would inherit the king, inherit the crown of any royalty. And Jesus is given this. Now, they, have, they go to sleep sometime and God in his miraculous way comes down and tells them, don't tell Herod. Now, what's the point in all of this? 
What's the point? And notice what Simeon says. He says, uh, it had revealed to him. Uh, uh, get this right. Um, this man was righteous and devout, was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Do you know what that word consolation? It's translated in other ways in the New Testament. In other ways, it's translated comforter. The Holy Spirit is called the parakletos. It's the same word that is used here. He is waiting for the comforter of Israel to come. The king of Israel to come. The one who will release them from the Roman world. The one who will take away their shackles. The one who will take away the weight of oppression that they've suffered so violently. And he does. Here is the glorious truth. Jesus does. So why did Jesus come when he did? Well, number one, it is the most... Most of the world is under the rule of one central government, Rome. And it allows for the rapid spread of the Christian world to happen, in, in particularly in the western, but also into the east. They had conquered parts of Asia, and there were roads and ways into Asia, and the word about Jesus spread as rapidly as it would today, nearly as rapidly as it would today in their world. Not, not, not about his birth, but particularly about his death. The early church, within a hundred years of Jesus' death, have spread across the known world. That is amazing. It is the power of Jesus in their lives. So, um, so why did Jesus come the way he did? Why in a manger? I, I've thought about this a lot. Like, why, why did Jesus come the way he did? I, I, I read this recently. Uh, the Gospels do not cast Jesus as parachuting down from a great height to dispense solutions to all the problems, nor zapping everything into shape like some kind of Superman. Instead, Christ is shown as living in the mess, living in the muddle of a very difficult part of the world at an especially difficult time in history, and absorbing the pain and shame I want to get this right. Absorbing the pain and shame of all of it within his own life, within his own body. Brothers and sisters, friends this morning, Jesus came not as a king, not even as a regular child, but as the bastard son of an unmarried woman, which is the greatest shame for their world. And he absorbed that pain and shame to deliver his nation, Israel, to deliver his people. And Simeon says it well. I am waiting, I've been waiting for the one who will deliver Israel and all the Gentile world. I've been waiting for that one. And here he is, this baby. Now I can die. And it is so powerful. As I, as I thought about that, I got goosebumps up and down my spine thinking, Jesus came at the right time. He also came in the right way because in that, he came in such a way that he absorbed the pain and shame of our world, which makes it possible for him to be our comforter today and the pain and shame we face. The guilt we face, the pain we face, the shame we face, he has experienced. He's not experienced the guilt. He did not sin. But he has faced all the pain and shame. 
For His stripes we are healed. We are healed. We are also forgiven, but we are healed. We don't have to live with the pain and shame of our world pressing in that wants to press it in on us. Satan is adept at bringing pain and shame into our lives in such a way that makes us uh, no longer useful, neutered in the kingdom of God. It robs us of our ability to give. And Jesus came to free us from that so we can give to our world. What does it mean that God is with us? God with us. Listen, where is Jesus today? He's here. He's here. Jesus is here. And when we embrace this baby as the answer, as the consolation of Israel, what it does is it allows us to take Jesus into the world. Brothers and sisters, Jesus' coming is not necessarily so much about, it is about your personal salvation and uh, you coming to Jesus. Yes, it is that, but it's much bigger than that. It's about Jesus bringing healing from the shame and pain that this world experiences. It's about Jesus bringing that through us into the world. I'm going to read a quote. Luke's answer must be, the angel's answer is, and our answer must be, that you will see him at work when those who praise him and celebrate his birth go off to make his praise echo in homeless shelters and prisons in asylum camps and hospitals, in homes where tragedy is stuck, struck and hearts that are broken with grief. And yes, in even the dark hills where the shepherds wait to see if the angels might just sing again. And if you add Matthew's gospel and the story of the wise men, we find a further truth. That if you want to see Jesus, learn to look for him in the faces of those in need, of those in hospitals, of those in prisons. Not in the elite, not in Herod or Nero, but in the shepherds and in Mary and in Simeon and in Anna and in the strangers, the wise men. It's there that you find Jesus. And it's there that we give Jesus. When I was studying this, I thought, so Jesus came into this world at a very unique time in history. He also came in a really unique way. And by the way, think about this. He could have, ex- he could have exposed him. I mean, God could, have, God could have spoken to Herod, Nero, the Roman centurions. Instead, he speaks to shepherds. By the way, shepherds are not uh, little kids with uh, uh, bathrobes on. Shepherds are kind of the dregs of society in that world. 
They're the people who stink. They work at the uh, stink plant. You know? That's the kind of people they were known as. He, exp- he comes to shepherds. He comes to a man who does nothing, an old retired man who sits at the temple waiting for some empty promises of God, at least in the people's eyes. And he comes to a virgin and her husband. And he comes to this radical couple, Zachariah and Elizabeth. He comes to those kind of people and he says, deliverance has come. Here's deliverance. And he comes to us today. And he says, do you want to be delivered from your pain and shame? Do you want to be delivered from your guilt? The answer is found in Jesus. The consolation of Israel. The comforter of Israel. When I thought about that this week, sitting in my basement, it's not happened for a while. As I read through the story, I began to cry. I sat there and just cried. And I thought about the fact that Jesus came to bring wholeness. I want you to notice the shepherds, uh, the uh, angel's message yet. Glory to God in the highest and on peace and on earth. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Peace. Obviously, it wasn't, didn't mean political peace. And it didn't mean regional peace. It didn't mean freedom from the pain and travail and trauma of life. But it meant something much bigger. There is something very powerful in a group of people who have experienced the peace of God in their lives. Are you aware of this, that studies show that only about 7 to 8% of people in our world know what it means to experience unconditional love? And I would say in a group this size that only maybe 10% of you know what it means to experience, um, and I'm not very good at it myself, to just sit with the love of God. But when I was thinking about this, I, my mind went to John 3.16. It's the most well-known verse, but we forget it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that you and I might have life, peace, and freedom. What would it mean if that for the next year, each of us spent time every week just sitting quietly in the presence of God and inviting God to love us? Do you know how uncomfortable that is? How awkward that is? And how painful that can be? But I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, if we want to grow as a church, if we want to become a part of the story of bringing deliverance to the world, we have to experience it ourselves. So I invite you, whether it's when you're running, whether it's uh, you just spending time alone, take time each day, preferably, but each week, and say, and invite, and say, God, could you just show your love to me? Could I just sit in your love? He wants to love you. Scotty Smith wrote a book called 
I forgot, lost the title right there. Objects of his affection. And in it he talks about a birthday party. And uh, his wife, at first he didn't think his wife was going to have a birthday party for him. And he was kind of uh, mad all day because nobody was celebrating him. And then at night she took him on a drive and she said she'd go out to eat and he op- opens the restaurant door and all his friends are sitting in there and they, they all shout out and they start singing happy birthday. And he said he felt something in that moment. Awkwardness. He said he stood there and he didn't know what to do. Should he put his hands in his pockets? Should he cross his arms? What should he do? It's kind of, you know, it's that awkward feeling of being the object of people's affection. And it's that very same feeling that we run from when we sit quietly with God and let His love come to us and speak to our hearts. But it is the only way that you will be delivered from your shame, pain, and guilt. Let's stand together. The consolation of Israel has come. The comforter has come. Will you embrace him? Lord Jesus, we invite you to come and to love us.